Welcome to the VO School podcast, dedicated to the art, craft, and business of voiceover. Each week builds upon the last to give you a comprehensive understanding of a career in VO. My name's Jamie Moffat. I'm a full-time voice talent and audio engineer, and I'll be joined by some of the industry's top professionals on both sides of the microphone to drill down and dig up the truth. Hello, hello. Welcome to the VO School podcast. And today's a bit of a milestone because we've reached episode 20 and that's super exciting. And I'm really, really grateful for everyone that has listened and contributed and offered support and encouragement and help along the way. So thank you. Thank you for that. And today's episode is something a little bit special to celebrate that. Now, if you're listening uh, close to when it's released, you'll know that this month is February and February is Black History Month. So today's episode is to do with diversity. And because of that, I wanted someone a bit better qualified to talk about that than I and host the episode. And it's a really great privilege to have Doug Melville fulfill that role for us. He is Chief Diversity Officer at TBWA, and he really practices what he preaches. Um, If you follow him on social media, you'll see that diversity is a huge part of his day-to-day work and home life, and uh, he's just the perfect person to host this. So thank you, Doug, for agreeing to do this. You did a fantastic job. And so that brings us to this week's guests, who are really, really huge in the voiceover industry. If you've been in or around this world for any time, you will have heard of them. They are Joan Baker and Rudy Gaskins, and you'll remember Rudy from way back in episode one. And I've been trying to get Joan on the podcast ever since. Our schedules just haven't really aligned up until this point. So it was somewhat destined that this episode came together. And uh, I'm so pleased that it has. So. Without further ado, we're going to have a short break and then we're going to get straight into the discussion hosted by Doug Melville with Joan Baker and Rudy Gaskins. The National Zoo. Because sometimes you just need to stroke a llama. Instagram. Download it and start embarrassing your teenagers today. Resolve spot and stain. Because the dog's gonna drag his butt on the carpet. He just is. Engage the droid army with this Lego Star Wars Republic fighter tank. Hi, it's J. Michael Collins. And these are just a few examples of the first-class demos my team and I are producing. If you'd like to have something similar, visit jmcvoiceover.com and click on the Demo Production tab to find out more. All right. Well, I am honored to be sitting here today uh, as a guest host for this podcast for our Black History Month special edition. <laughs> so uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Now, I, I want to make sure we're clear and people listening know who is in the studio today live. This is not done via satellite or on location. This is done indirect, in person with all of us in the same studio, which is very exciting for me. And I'm with two special guests today, uh, Rudy Gaskin, Emmy Award-winning producer, mm-hmm. 20-year veteran of the voiceover industry, co-founder of the Society of Voice Arts and Sciences, which Good Morning America has dubbed the Oscars of voiceover. And you are joined by Joan Baker, best-selling mm-hmm. international author of Secrets of Voiceover Success. 
Her voice and or likeness has appeared in over 20 films and video game titles, including the Sex and the City movie, which is one of my favorites, Shaft, Saturday Night Live, and a series of Grand Theft Auto titles. She's a triple threat actress, voice, and dance. It is an honor to have you both here. And you're also the co-founder, the other co-founder of the Society of Voice Arts and Sciences. So, Doug... We heard Jamie couldn't get Jada Pinkett Smith or Will, and so they called us in. So this is going to be off the cuff. Right. Now, we have no notes. We're just uh, just in here freestyling. And that was the, the second shaft, actually, the new yeah. Samuel L. Oh, Jackson yes, shaft yes. that Joan was in. I love that. I literally, I auditioned for John Singleton, mm -hmm. and this is what I thought was funny. It, it was in Harlem. It was in a garage, mm -hmm. and, and the garage was like echoey and stuff. Anyway, there was a long line, and I was auditioning to be the girlfriend of the original Shaft. And when it was my turn, I noticed when he came up to me, he literally did this cliche where, where the... Um, Making oh. the screen, framing the framing screen, the with screen your hands. framing my face, and oh, as with he was the, with, his fingers, with his fingers, he was framing your yeah. face. Yeah, he didn't. I noticed he didn't do that with anyone else, but he was doing that with me. And as I was talking, I said, "Look, you don't even have to worry about me." I said, "I've been around. I can take care of anything you want me to do. It's no problem." Next thing you know, I got a phone call. I love this. I was on it. One of the best auditions I ever had. Telling them how I'd be. Got that. Right? <laughs> now, how much does confidence play into auditions? Because the unique thing about your relationship with SOVAS, mm -hmm. uh, which is the acronym of the Society of Voice Arts and Sciences, and mm -hmm. also your careers, is that every relationship is essentially a producer and talent or a director and talent. So how do you know that you've nailed an audition, Joan? When you walk into a room, because mm -hmm. um, you've, you've gone across multiple verticals, so how do you yes. know that you've nailed it? Well, how I know I've nailed it, I think, is one, I really do m try to make a connection with whoever I'm auditioning with. Um, obviously, not everyone you know, resonates, but I really do try to break the ice, and I do try to break it with humor, because that not only helps them connect with me, but it also helps me really rise to the occasion in the room. Also, I think when I get into a trance, and I don't know if that sounds strange, but when I'm really in a trance, I become very present, and nothing kind of um, gets in my thoughts or distracts me in any way. And when I walk away from an audition, usually I'll go, wow, I was really in it. Mm -hmm. I wasn't distracted by anything. And also, when I, whenever I think to myself, oh, I should have done this or I should have done that, I don't get it. Got but it. when I'm in it, I'm usually in a trance, and I can be very, very focused on what I'm doing, and things come to me you know, as revelations as I'm working. Right. That's when I usually get things. That's great. Yeah. It's an unusual kind of <clears throat> inertia built around a being having a trance. But I think that comes out of training. Like, I'm constantly training, whether I'm teaching, uh, coaching, whether I'm taking a class, whether, I mean, Rudy is also my coach. He's one of my coaches. So I'm always in some kind of educational training, and I have been my whole life. It builds a trance. And that trance, you know, I'm human, so sometimes it shows up, sometimes it doesn't. But when it does is usually when things happen. Now, how important is a coach? Because this is someone you should have over the course of your mm -hmm. career. Because I think people try to sometimes take the easy way out. They don't go for the extra coaching or go the extra mile. Well, somehow I think people think 
there not everyone, but certain people think coaching is a deficit. It like it means I'm not good or it means, you know, somehow I'll have to admit certain things to myself that I don't want to admit if I have a coach. But I don't know any, and I mean I don't know any uh uh, professional, whether they're in politics, whether they're in television, whether they're doing public speaking, I don't know one person that is successful that does not have a coach or is not coaching or is not being coached or seeking out a coach. Mm -hmm. I don't know anyone. I don't care if you're a basketball player. I don't care what kind of athlete you are in politics, whatever it may be, you have a coach. I remember I, I coached Johnny Cochran, the late Johnny Cochran. And one of the things that I got about him that I really appreciated was that he understood the value of education. And in this case, his education was me coaching him. So everything I said, he did without ego, without blinking an eye, without questioning me about why am I saying this? He did everything I said. This is when he had a show on Court TV. As a matter of fact, Rudy was... Uh, creative uh, senior uh, vice president there mm -hmm. at the time. And and so they were looking for him to get a coach, to get coach because he knew nothing about TV. But I do remember that, it, that at the time he was being coached, Court TV didn't want people to know he was being coached. But I thought that's a great thing to say because it shows that everybody needs to have a coach. And it wasn't until after Court TV ended that we actually did an interview for for ad week because I was talking to a, one of the writers there and I had mentioned that I coached with Johnny Cochran and they were so intrigued by that. They said, do you think Johnny would talk about it? I said, yeah, I do. And there was an article written on it because even though it's something that's behind the scenes, so um, matter, you know, so um, commonplace publicly, I guess it's not, but there isn't one athlete, one artist that doesn't need to have an objective point of view or a witness witnessing their work to tweak it, to adjust it, or whatever it needs. Now, what do you think it is about his voice in particular that has lasted all these years? So it's 25 years since mm -hmm. the OJ trial, but he had many other cases in his career. And yes, he, was he did. well known around the legal industry and entertainment yes. fields. But what is it about his voice? Was it the fact that he spoke a certain way? Was it a cadence? Was it just... Because um, culturally, people know Johnny Cochran. Yes. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I just wondered what actually, uh, in your opinion, uh, Joan or Rudy or together mm -hmm. makes a voice last well beyond Great question. the lifetime or the span of the individual who is speaking. What do yeah, you think? Well, I think <clears throat> with Johnny, well, maybe this goes for the question in general in terms of what makes a voice, what gives a voice you know, that lasting appeal, yes. it's more than just the, vo the voice. It's more than just the tone of the voice, which can be beautiful, which can be sweet and resonant in the room. But if, as you mentioned earlier, confidence is present, that's going to make a difference in how that voice comes across. If the knowledge base is there for whatever you're talking about, that's going to make a difference in how your voice comes across. And if you care about who you're talking to and what you're sharing with that person, that's going to make a huge difference in how your voice comes across. So if all those things are more or less present when you open your mouth because it, you care about what's going to happen when you open your mouth, then that's going to all feed into the overall quality of your voice. And that's something that can be lasting for sure. And I, I also spent, uh, 
I spent a lot of time with Johnny Cochran, so it wasn't just uh, working with him on his voiceovers for his show, and it was also working with him on camera as well. It was the two put together. But one of the things that I got that he was concerned with, but not but concerned in a good way, was his legacy. And in his legacy, I think he really wanted to make an impact with his voice, but in a holistic way where it kind of showed his intellect. It showed where his heart was. Also, yes, confidence, but I think it went beyond confidence. I think that he had a mission to expose, to uplift, to embrace. Like all those things, I think, landed on his voice and had impact in a community. Mm-hmm. And I think eventually he 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 gained the respect he wanted. But one thing he did tell me was that he definitely wanted to be remembered for not the OJ trial, but for another trial that he spent, I think, decades on. And he really honed in on not just his voice in this, but the person that was behind bars that wasn't meant to be behind bars. Mm -hmm. So he was all about the communication, the intention, the, um, the reason to speak was very powerful for him. And that's why I think that when I came on board and when I was hired to work with him, I worked with him for three years. And when I came on board with him, he was so hungry to embrace what communication was and the different mediums and the different um, uh, expressions of it. Because I think in the end, he was concerned and wanted to have a legacy Mm -hmm. that really was passionate. Got it. Now, Rudy, what attracted you 20 years in voice uh, is really a long time. That's prior to podcasts, prior to smartphones, which are just 10 years old, really prior to the modern internet that was invented really in 97, 98. So that was still dial up. Totally what, analog. Totally analog. So what attracted you to voice in particular of the arts? Um, did you see a certain opportunity? Was it something that touched you? Uh, in a way that was more personal than other areas of of kind of the entertainment ecosystem? Absolutely. I saw something behind the scenes that surprised me. So I left college. I left NYU Film School, and I got a job working with Francis Coppola as an, as a, an assistant editor, as an apprentice editor, actually, became an assistant later. And in, in that job, I was working in the sound department. And to my surprise, actors were still coming in. The film had already been shot, but actors were still coming in to do looping. And sometimes they would call me in or some of the other assistants around the office to come in and do looping. Could be little things like crowd noise and sometimes specific uh, situations where you could see someone's mouth moving, but it's a little bit in the distance, and you had to put a voice to it and you had to match it. And this was going to go into a Francis Coppola feature film. So you knew the stakes were high and you're seeing the people around this, the engineers and the talent coming in and the finesse that went into creating these uh, sort of arbitrary sound effects in some instances and then specific words and dialogue that would go into the mouths of the actors who you see speaking on the screen. Watching that process and then being a part of uh, the, you know, actually building those reels and knowing that I was going to sit down in the theater and see my name on the screen with Francis Coppola and see my work coming from that screen uh, after you know being a kid watching the movies and then the biggest thing in your world when you see these, these big features, that really grabbed me. And that really showed me that 
there was a reason why as a kid growing up, I was always very sensitive to the sound of movies. And maybe that's similar for most people. You go into a movie as a kid, and the first thing you notice is how big the sound is and how perfect it is. Working with the, in the feature film world, I saw how that was produced, why the sound was so great, because people were sitting around working on every second of it to make sure that that was so. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what really inspired me about the voice, uh, as, as voice acting goes, and got me to really start to look more carefully at it from the point of view of recording it, from the point of view of directing it and finessing it after the fact. And now what was the aha moment where you said, uh, together as a unit, that we need to start a community and build an area for our constituents and all these voice actors and all this talent across video games, television, music. What was the aha moment where you said, we need to leave our jobs leave our careers in some sense yes. and create something bigger than us. And that's when you created the Society of Voice Arts and Sciences. And <laughs> not not for nothing, you know, for Good Morning America to state that it was the Oscars of voice. I've been myself. I mean, these are unbelievable productions, Lincoln Center, Warner Brothers Studios. I mean, you have the who's who of talent across such a wide range. What did you... You know, what was that aha moment? Was it something that happened together, separate? Was it something you went back and forth on? Because it's a huge mm-hmm. commitment to put huge. this together. Yeah. And I just wanted to kind of talk us, the listeners, through that moment. It was, Joe may have a different okay. take on this, but it was more organic than an aha moment. Got mm-hmm. it. So, and in fact, if I would go way back, the aha moment was when I realized that Joan and I, as a team, many years ago, watching her teach voice acting as well as you know performing voice acting, even for me at ABC News and at Court TV and Food Network. But so I'm watching her work, but I'm also seeing her teach, and she would invite me into her classes to uh, to bring a producer's point of view. So we're working together now uh, to help folks develop enough skills to become gainfully employed in voice acting. And so you're always looking for how do you, how do you make that happen? Uh, people are coming from a variety of backgrounds and not everyone is um, necessarily inclined to voice acting, even though they're interested in it. Wow. And so you're looking for how do you get them to that next level? How do you move them, move them forward? So in a very organic way, we kept raising stakes, improving uh, our, our curriculum and looking at how to work with individuals based on their specific learning needs. How do you mm-hmm. tap into that and just be observant of that? And, uh, and so in a very organic way, from trying to become better and, uh, and improve what we were doing, we kept raising the stakes until we had these larger events and we started bringing in more expertise from the casting directors and talent agents and TV producers and film producers and audio engineers to add to the mix. And before we knew it, we had so much going on in a way of uh, inertia and you know forward movement that uh, it started taking on a life of its own. And it was very natural that awarding these people who were at the top of the game made a lot of sense. So it wasn't as though I had a moment where I said, wait a minute, it's time to just start a whole new organization that just focuses on all the work that we're doing as much as how do we bring it all together? Mm-hmm. And in what form will that take? And it happened to take the, the form of creating a nonprofit, 
that we call the Society of Voice Arts and Sciences is a way to keep it all under one umbrella and start to manage it. Now, what did happen was that eventually all the work we were putting into the world of voiceover, looking for ways to enhance the profile of voiceover actors and the industry overall, at some point, our day job, which was running a boutique creative services agency called Push Creative, started falling by the wayside. We started giving up certain clients. Yes, and we started and work. And we said, let's not take on this client or that client because we have too much to do over here right. where we're investing our own money at this point. Right. Uh, and, and eventually it just sort of started to take over and we made that decision. Let's stop doing one thing and just focus on the other. And how many years ago was that? Five years ago that we started Sovas. Mm-hmm. Nine and- years ago that we started doing major voiceover events, little forums around the country. And it started to compete with the Creative Services Agency. <laughs> and before that, it started with Secrets of Voiceover Success. Now, that book is a community-based book. So it wasn't a book I wrote about myself, although that would have been fine. But I wanted to get the different successful people that I knew had got, had ups and downs in their career, but how they had it work out. That just fascinated, fascinated me because it also... It was also what I was doing too in terms of not just trying to figure out, voiceover is a career behind the scenes and it's in post-production. So no one really knows how it works. Most people fell into it from different areas. Right. But I I found when I would go to auditions and I would always talk to people about you know their careers, especially because when I got into voiceover, I knew nothing about it. I never thought, oh, it'd be a career. It was really another way of skin a cat for me because Nobody was interested in the girl that had the light skin that you couldn't figure out if she was black or white or Latina. So there really was no box. And that's important in show business that somehow you get fit into a box. I was never able to fit into a box. So I I, I kind of looked at my myself and my life and I knew that at one point I was going to have to create I didn't know it was called a platform at at the time, but I knew I would have to create my own work. And I really rebelled against that. I really felt upset about it because of the reason why. And the reason why was because no one knew what to do with me. It was always, oh, you're so great, but no one knew what to do with me. I never quite could get uh, the jobs because people would say to me, we don't know if if you're, you know, what exactly are you? (laughs) So, so... I knew the way my life was speaking to me that eventually I would have to create my own stuff. It wasn't until I met Rudy and it wasn't until as time went on that that started to manifest. And when that started to manifest, I I gained much more confidence in myself. But Secrets of Voiceover Success really came out of the fact that my father passed away. Talk about voice. My father's voice was was, uh, extinguished from Alzheimer's. And so it, uh, when my dad passed away, and he was someone that was very instrumental in my, in my life, not just career, but in my life. So I felt like in the grieving of him, I, I felt like, you know what, I really want to give back to a community that really opened themselves up to me. Because before voiceover, no one was interested. I could not even get arrested. So once I got into voiceover and the doors open, it was like the combination to the lock unlocked. And my father passed away 
you know, I my career in voiceover started in 1991, and he passed away in 2003. So I thought, you know what, I, re I really want to give back. And, and I also wanted to be able to give back to voices that also got uh, extinguished through through Alzheimer's. So the book isn't just a book around voiceover. It also includes people's voices that no longer are able to speak as well. And then the proceeds of my book go to Alzheimer's. To this day, it still does. So I just felt like, you know what, that really does reflect me, giving back to the community, creating a book that has diversity, that includes um, all kinds of voices and how they made it in voiceover. And it also includes inspiration from people with different degrees of, of Alzheimer's also are in the book as well. So it's kind of a, it's an unusual book, although it, focus on, it focuses on voiceover. So I would do book signings that included the people in the book. That was in 2005. That really started the road for both Rudy and I who helped produce these book signings. And we started, and I started to think, oh, I'd love to do it at the Museum of the Moving Image because they're all about behind the scenes. And then we got a panel there. And um, Alan Coulter, who was the voice on David Letterman, I got him to host it and I co-hosted it. And then we had a group of uh, people from the book. So the book kept moving into different areas and different book signings. And it kind of got a big, it started to get a big following. And then the Learning Annex, which no longer exists, although I did, I hear it's coming back. They came on board right away and they said, we'd love to do an event with you around your book. And so they named it Make Millions With Your Voice. And the way I could justify that was all the people on the panel, we all together made millions. So we started giving out advice and I hosted that. Again, another kind of a vehicle that kind of organically came up around voice and around the kind of industry and and the holistic expression of what the voice can do, that took off. And that organically became That's VoiceOver. And then that Got organically it. grew into the Voice Arts Awards. One thing about the VoiceOver community was, it was something that since I was in VoiceOver, people would say, you know, how come there's no award show for VoiceOver? How come we don't get acknowledged for our work? You know, again, it's, it's kind of an invisible industry that had not been acknowledged, although we are everywhere and we are promoting and 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 embracing the services from all over everywhere. You hear voiceover everywhere. It's everywhere. And yet, taken for granted, not acknowledged. So these things, these pieces came together over time. We never set out to actually do this, but it happened kind of organically. And Rudy and I, we brainstorm every step of the way because again, even being even being black, we, we individually know and we know together that you kind of have to be ahead of the pack in order to really get attention in any way or get acknowledged in a positive way. So we're constantly brainstorming how to create a better product, our own voices, our own talents, but also in everything and all our endeavors. It was just kind of natural. Started from childhood, you know, when people kind of dismiss you. You just, if I think if you have um, ambition, then you're going to not only deal with it, but you're going to come up with ways to make yourself stand out just to be recognized as average.
Mm-hmm. Not even something special. At right. least that. Yeah, at least that. You know, when you look at other elements of the entertainment industry, you know, it's it goes without saying they're dominated by a historically white male culture. Yes. They were the decision makers, the yes. laws and of the land have been set up in such a That's way right. where only one group had the power. So a lot of people had a voice, but only one group had a vote. Yes. And that was a particular group of white male That's executives right. that dominated really all of Hollywood in the early years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can go through technology or advertising with Mad Men, and you can kind of see historically how these industries uh, have come about. Um, but this past year, um, I went to your show, and one thing that I saw that was so unbelievable and NBC actually wrote a great piece on this because uh, someone was at mm. at your show from NBC that you did not even know of. No, uh, a reporter because um, I ended up speaking with him later on in that evening, and he just went because he had heard about what was going on oh. in the voiceover industry, and they wrote this amazing article about the diversity of the Voice Arts Awards yeah. and the inclusive nature by no design, essentially. Exactly. It, it was a natural exactly. reality. There was people mm-hmm. in wheelchairs. There was a woman with a seeing eye dog. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. There were people there. And I sat there and I said, all these other industries are looking, trying to find a pathway, break down barriers to entry to get more of the American population and global population included in the conversation. Yep. And here we are at Lincoln Center and you don't predict who wins. No. You know, it's a, it's a secret ballot, it's envelope yes. voting, so yes. you don't know until the name's called. Yes. And one by one, the individuals on that stage represented every nook and cranny of the world, of America. And and what is it about voice that is almost barrier-free to enter the industry? Because are people still mostly recording from home so that allows people to build studios or maybe get into the Mm. reality of are people ending up there? Because the diversity and inclusive nature of your show is something that you know, I've never seen Eye-popping. before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the voices, I think, they, they do come from all over the world. Most people are recording from home studios now. And uh, as Joan alluded to earlier, or said outright, it's it's a career that's behind the scenes and anonymous. Mm-hmm. And But it's full of people with extraordinary talent and uh, and people who would, just, would be just as fine being out front on stage. So they were hungry for acknowledgement. And when something came along that said, "Hey, we see you. We're gonna we're gonna vet your work, and we're going to yeah. uh, show the best of the best. And if you meet those standards, then we're gonna celebrate you on stage, and we're gonna hand you a golden trophy." Uh, they kind of came out of the woodwork. I mean, they were certainly naysayers, as you can expect would be with anything that steps out and says, "You know, we declare ourselves to be <laughs> the one." Um, so there was that, but there's so many people who were extraordinarily encouraging and who just stepped into it. Uh, no sooner than the Voice Arts Awards ended was I getting emails about when can I submit for the next one. It's and still said, happening like give me that. A, give me a week or two and we'll, we'll talk about that. So these people were starved for acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. Acknowledgement. I mean, as we all are. You know, everybody likes to get a pat on the back for a good job. And, uh, and it comes through 
and acknowledgement programs like this one. Well, I also think, too, that uh, in in that this is new to voiceover, um, there's there's um, like the naysayers that we're talking about, that, that the process isn't a process that is also out there on the table. No one really knows the process of, of, of the awards, of a, a legitimate awards. And there's a lot of partnerships to be made. There's actually, you know, each partnership, they want to make money because it's a business for them. It's not like, oh, just because you get an award, everyone does their part for free. Other people have to get paid. You know, we we partnered with RS Owens, for example. They created the Oscar, right? So we don't, our awards aren't something that sits in a warehouse in New Jersey, in someone's garage. They have to be individually made. And so Rudy and I invested the tens of thousands in the mold for the award so that every time someone wins an award and they order it, it has to be put in, you know, has to be made. Also, every time someone, you know, gets their award, the award company also gets a part of that profit. Just like when people submit for awards, there is a small cost to that because actually there's work involved with that and people get paid for how for their work. It has nothing to do with who wins the award. That in itself is legitimate. We have 95 judges from all over the world wow. that work um, from their computers and they score the work. And it's the the program that tallies up the scores, you get the nominees, and then, then you find out who wins at the gala, right? But every time someone submits, the software company gets a piece of that, that submission. So it's not like Rudy and I are rolling in dough. We actually are putting in our own money to make this work every year. And also sponsorship is very important to that. That also helps alleviate us putting in you know, our finances. And we spend almost 24-7 doing this seven days a week. It is, you know, from waking to sleeping, that's all we think about. And that's all we do is to keep creating the the quality and developing the partnerships so that things get more and more, you know, profoundly uh, uh, loved and kept. So even the award itself is something that's it's more than a keepsake. It's like having an Oscar or the Emmy although we're working towards that as well for it to really mean that. But we have you have to start from somewhere. So some of the naysayers don't realize that there's other people involved and they get a piece of the pie, but that has nothing to do with the people that get nominated from their work. It gets scored by judges, judges that no one gets, you know, any, no one gets paid to judge, just like in the Emmys and, and the other awards. No one gets paid for that. They they donate their time. So some things are donated. Other people have to get paid. So um, it's a business model. It's it's a business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's really interesting because I think, uh, you know, the voice is like buying art. It's yeah. very hard to say you know, one voice is better than the other. But I think what's so unique about the voice arts industry and the voiceover industry is that I feel that Latina women are doing Latina voices. I feel that, mm. you know, males are doing male voices. You know, in acting, you can have people play other characters, but it's almost the authenticity of voice mm-hmm. that has allowed the show to really grow at exponential rates. Yes. Um, and, and now that authenticity comes through when you attend, but what is the reality for voice acting? Because one of the things, uh, a few years ago, 
uh, when I was attending one of your shows, uh, someone had said to me that there's only uh, five movies trailers that have ever been done by women or, or something. I don't know oh, if that was exactly. even less than that. <laughs> yeah, a very, very but, but, small but, number. You know, so kind of maybe we could just dive in mm -hmm. just to a little bit of kind of what you see top line across the demographics of voice. So, you know, that that's maybe we could even go into that movie trailer conversation for a sec because that, mm -hmm. that is unbelievable. There's so many movie trailers. You know, how oh, many, I know. I mean, for every thousands. movie, there's a movie trailer. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's changing for the better across the board. Movie trailers are interesting because they have developed a whole new trend where they use very little voiceover. Oh, okay. So some of them have no voiceover. Others, it's not until they say, uh, coming soon, that you hear a voice. Mm. But where they're just using music and dialogue uh, excerpts from the actual film and action scenes to tell the whole story. So you no longer have, uh, you very rarely have those kind of wall-to-wall -wall movie trailer voiceover jobs. Got it. Anymore, because it used yeah. to be different. Sure. It used to be you different. Know, it's funny because the news is kind of going the opposite way. They're mm -hmm. having less reporters and more packaged pieces with voice. That's true. Mm -hmm. So it's, mm -hmm. it's interesting kind of that trend there because instead of having someone out there with the microphone, it's better to just take highlights read a script mm -hmm. with a nice voice right. and then load that online. So it's almost on that Well, that with level. movie trailers, you know, remember voiceover started, it was an all-male industry, and there was very few men that did voiceover. And so that included movie trailers. It was a male, it's a male-dominated industry. And partly the mindset is because in voiceover, we're actually competing. We're competing with the music in terms of being heard. We're competing with other people's voices, sound bites that may come up. Um, and we're, we're also, in some cases, competing with the visual. And everything is mixed on one, on one track. So it's not like the voice is really forward and everything else is back. We're all mixed on the same track. So if your voice doesn't stand out, then it's going to get lost with all the other things, even the sound effects, everything. So trailers first started with male voices because that's who was doing it. But now that there's, you know, a diversity. And that was the voice that cut through. Right. A it was the voice that cut voice. through is really what it was. It wasn't meant to insult women. But now that, you know, we know that women's voices do cut through, uh, it's time to open that gate. I just saw something today, and I don't remember, it was on Twitter or something, and it said something about something about movie trailers and now and now opening up to women. I, I, I didn't get a chance to read it, but I don't, I don't know if that's true, but it's been a, a very hard nut to crack. Also in voiceover too sometimes when, because there's so much money at stake, right? Sometimes when the person in charge of hire, they won't rock the boat because they don't want to take a chance in case it doesn't work, they've wasted you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars or tens of thousands of dollars. So people tend to not want to take a chance behind the scenes. So if if men are doing trailers, they'll stick with the trailers. They're not itching to get a woman involved because they know that that combination yeah, works. over the habit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've also talked to creative directors and in, in, uh, doing promos. And a lot of them, a lot of the TV networks kind of have that similar philosophy even though things may be changing and things also ebb and flow. So sometimes it looks like it's changing because they start use more women and then it goes back to men. Right. And then sometimes you hear it's gonna start opening up and, and you'll hear um, you know, different 
kind of ethnicities in voices doing promos, and then it will go back to, you know, like the clear voice that cuts through. So these things do ebb and flow, but ultimately, as Rudy and I are working towards creating breakthroughs. Mm -hmm. So let me kind of, uh, I want to maybe go through a little lightning round while we have, uh, you know, a little bit of time left. But um, talk to me about the Muhammad Ali partnership that you have, because not all the voices that you honor are literal voices that are spoken. Some of them right. are more um, conceptual vision voices. So Influencers. talk to me a yeah. little bit about uh, Muhammad Ali, how you partnered with him, and then mm. also the several individuals that have received that award or mm -hmm. um, the couple, I know it's quite new, but. Well, we, we knew that as we looked more and more at voice acting for entertainment and, uh, and marketing purposes, uh, that there was more to it than that. And the, the, the concept of authenticity, which always comes through in the, in the better performances, uh, was at the front of that, that acknowledgement. And so as we looked at the voice and how, how can it be used to do more than just entertain and sell, we realized very, very easily and very quickly, well, wait a minute, these, they're voices that impact uh, you know, the world in extraordinary ways. Mm -hmm. And as professionals and craftsmen, craftspeople of voice acting, it seems logical that we would be interested and what the voice does beyond what happens in our voiceover booths. And we started looking for a way to tap into that spirit. So you're talking about the voice as uh, a phenomenon, as an impactful phenomenon outside of uh, its tonality, but the tonality of its spirit. But the holistic of its, sense of the voice, the voice of the environment, the voice of change, you know, the voice of metaphysics or whatever it may be. Yes. It's the voice of meaning a whole holistic yeah, I think that's a very unique positioning mm -hmm. play because yes. you work with Muhammad Ali, so that's mm. pinnacle, global recognized, you know, some would argue and look at his voice. greatest athlete in the history of yes. mankind. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then you also right. have, you know, demo reel category. Yeah. Right? Like, you know, it's amazing that you've created an environment when we talk about inclusion that you have the Muhammad Ali Voice Arts Awards and the demo. Uh-huh real that's a good mm -hmm. in the same You're entity right. and You're that right. was by the need but it's all and, there and, in one yeah, and by design but also the demo reel for example uh is a very powerful voice and voiceover because it literally is how you get an agent how you get a job mm. you know how you um attract people to your work so we decided that we would do a category because i mean personally I wanted it to be known that it's a very crucial thing, a demo reel. It takes a village to create a demo reel. And in voiceover, you know, people were doing demo reels like on their tape recorder or, you know, looking for cheap ways to do it and thinking they were going to get work or they were going to get an agent. Always disappointed because you're competing with people that actually do it for a living. So people like my demo reel or someone that's been doing a long time have real spots on their demo reel. Right now, uh, the demo reel has kind of really turned into a very powerful tool and not all the spots are real anymore, but they have to sound like they are. They have to sound literally like they'd sound on TV mm. or how they sound in radio or commercial. So it's become a powerful tool and we wanted to highlight that, that, that this is not, you know, 
A demo reel isn't small, it's big, it's powerful, and it takes a village to do it. And we wanted to reward that. Yeah. So we created that category as well as we wanted to reward the voice of, you know, in, in Muhammad Ali's case, it was really done in the essence of who he was to the world, not just to boxing, but mm -hmm. to the world itself. So when we uh, contacted the Muhammad Ali Center, because we were thinking about different people who we wanted the award to be named after. Mm -hmm. Right away, we did think of Muhammad Ali. We didn't know we'd get them involved, but we contacted them. Right, his voice them. was the one that you, yes. you highlighted as, as someone that needed to be part of this. And this right. was interesting, and that was that two months before he died, he signed off on this. So if this isn't an award that happened after he died. This actually... We yeah, he's aware of it. He yeah, knew it. Yeah, he was aware of yeah. it. Very and fortunate for us because it. many people jumped on the on the train after he passed sure. away right uh, creating and, awards and that left you know the Muhammad Ali center that organization you know dealing with how do you, we figure out uh, who's real and who isn't right yeah and, so and we were, president obama was the first one to receive that award right yes. that's right yeah which is an amazing honor and i was there uh, during that year when he was when he was um, awarded and you also mm -hmm. had a uh, uh, other categories, you had Michael Buffer. Yeah, he was an Icon Award. Let's get ready to rumble. Sure. Yeah, so the icon Voice Arts Award. Icon Award goes to uh, a voiceover actor who not only has demonstrated extraordinary skill in the craft over many years, but also has a heart that's demonstrated through their humanitarianism mm -hmm. and, uh, and other ways that they make a positive difference in life. Like Nancy Cartwright got the Vanguard Award this year, which is sponsored by Backstage Magazine. And she got it not only for her work, you know, her body of work, but also for who, her humanitarian efforts too. Mm -hmm. It was Arts and Humanity were, was the name of her Vanguard Award. And some of the other winners of these honorary awards have been uh, James Earl Jones and William Shatner, uh, okay. Lily Tomlin. And this, this goes across the board of the honorary awards. So right. Muhammad Ali, the Voice Arts Icon Award, mm -hmm. the Environmental Award, which went to uh, Aaron Brockovich, uh, and the Backstage Vanguard Award. These are all areas, the four key areas in which we're able to recognize people who are Exceptional. more or less of global and, stature. Yeah. And, and it also represents the, the diversity of voice. Yeah. Yes. You're, you're, you know, everybody's touched by different voices. So it's a unique opportunity. Um, one one thing I also want to touch on is talk to me for a moment about the rise in voice across AI. So Alexa voice, mm -hmm. Google voice. You know, uh, at CES, the Consumer Electronics Show this year, you could pick up any Wall Street Journal, New York Times, and they would they said the winner was not there physically; it was voice, right? <laughs> because everything is becoming voice operated and. You know, the voice is the new uh, typing. You know, voice is mm -hmm. the new text. Mm -hmm. um, there mm -hmm. was a great article in uh -huh. the New York Times uh, just the other day about how voice is the new text and how the internet is allowing voices to really, uh, the Me Too movement and other things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, how are you able to, because now it's almost voices exploding, but you are, again, 20 years into it. So where do you see... Um, the field going where do you see you know the alexas of the world is that assisting in voice when everything's voice operated is this uh creating new opportunities uh or right. does it like tell me you're thinking about it because this is remember you started 
when you said, you know, it was analog. Right. Mm -hmm. And now mm -hmm. we could yell or say or scream a song in the sky and something will play it across the room. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, how do you see voice, you know, and do you see that in your Voice Arts Awards, there's room for places like Amazon? Absolutely. And uh, these brands. There's absolutely, as Joan said, there's absolutely room for it uh, in the Voice Arts Awards. And we want to celebrate that skill, that unique uh, method of bringing voice to life. The yes. uh, I think with AI, for the most part right now, it's a mechanism for us to use our voices to, mm -hmm. to, to get information uh, as opposed to in any way gauging how we use our voices as everyday consumers. Mm -hmm. So we have a tool. We can use our voice. It's easier than picking up an instrument and typing in something to just, as you said, holler out the sky and get an answer. <laughs> the uh, I think what will happen with AI, though, is that certainly more voices will will come into being mm -hmm. to help brand, to create sound signatures for different brands uh, and to be used in the same way that uh, Alexa and Siri are being used. And at some point, it'll level out. Mm -hmm. Some of those voices will will fall by the wayside. They won't develop personalities that are that are memorable. So we'll see some sort of shaking out at some point of the voices that we can tolerate. Yeah, right. I, I, you know? th I think oh, it's interesting because sound signatures in the advertising community are becoming huge. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody wants an audio trademark or a sound or a voice yeah. or some type of uh, intellectual yes. property that is a a sound. Yes. it's truly subliminal. I've really noticed it now when I when I do binge watching, like if you watch Netflix, for example, they have a wonderful sound signature and it gets into your head and you know that it means everything you love about Netflix is mm -hmm. coming back at you in a one and a half second sound signature. So it's it's incredible the degree to which sound can just sort of in, infuse your being mm -hmm. and take hold of you. And tug at your heart mm -hmm. and, yeah, and kind of uh, drive you to do certain things. Yeah. And now how are brands, uh, you know, using or working with you to extend their voices? Because in the ad community now, brands are also uh, working really with social consciousness issues. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a study that came out that social issues are the new black and People are looking on brands' websites to see, see where yes. they donate and yes. how they use their voice and how they shift their power. So That's in true. your world, are brands also looking to extend their footprint with mm -hmm. you or their voice print, I would say, and mm -hmm. and become part of the voice community? Because the voiceover actors are working for the brand, so they're technically the brand of the voice, but right. yes. they're on the other hand, the brand has a voice going back to the Muhammad Ali, that's more aspirational and vision-driven. Yes. So kind of how does that intersectionality work? Because, again, going back to how many broad topics that you have here, th this is another area where, where the intersectionality is really so vast. So mm -hmm. how does that work with brands? Well, it's not quite magical yet. I mean, <laughs> we're, right. only, we're only five years in going into our fifth year, so there's still a lot to do on our part to educate major brands about what the opportunity is. For those who have joined us as major sponsors, uh, they're beginning to see, and you use the word, that there's a community here, mm -hmm. that it's, it's not scattershot, that mm -hmm. when they get involved with us, they're tapping into a global community. But that's and serious. That's serious about acknowledgement. That's serious about brands. That's serious about being the voice and embracing brands that, 
One thing that when I'm talking to sponsors, sometimes I'll say, you know what? Voiceover people are very, very loyal. You acknowledge them, they will never forget you. Um, they won't. They will be loyal to you for life. And that is not a common necessarily uh, thing that happens in communities, but mm -hmm. it does happen in the voiceover community. And well, one of the reasons that it does happen, I believe, is mm -hmm. that this is not a community that's been embraced by any right. any yeah. major and brands yet, or by anybody. And so, yet we're everywhere. So all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, someone's paying attention to you and someone's showing you some love and any smart brand would look at that and say, wait a minute, Can't this is an opportunity that. for me to touch and yeah. be touched right. back and immediately started to, to develop uh, loyalty with yeah. this community. From a cultural standpoint, I compare you to and what you've created similar to when Don Cornelius created Soul Train. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he went to all these different areas and he said, no one is recording and capturing dance. And in 12 and years culture. after he started, this became the number one show Thank you. watched in America because it was people that were looking for us community mm -hmm. and someone needed to create that community. And in an aspirational way. Sure. It's a fun Which environment. It's aspirational. Yes. Mm -hmm. But also you could imitate the clothes. You could imitate the moves. You could imitate the expression on people's right. face and learn kind of how to be cool sure. or how to yeah. be it. Yeah. And in community, you have, you have diversity. Yeah. You know, you have, uh, you have people who are doing many different things, many different expertises and, um, and, and points of view and cultural backgrounds within the community. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I met Chocolate Rain uh, when I was at one of the- uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. Was and, hilarious. and celebrities were like, the Chocolate Rain guy is here. And I'm like, this, is <laughs> this show is amazing. Yeah. Um, and now what's happening with uh, audio books? I mean, is that uh, a segment that's really growing as well? Because I think it's really, I think it is really growing. And uh, part of it you see happening just in their advertising. Yeah. yeah, you know, you see they're Audible on TV now. Doing a lot more in that in that area. Audiobooks, yeah. But the other way I see it growing is uh, the people I run into who are listening to audiobooks. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's it used to be that you almost never heard it except for maybe like self help books. Mm -hmm. People would listen to Which gurus to talk to them about. I, I loved it. Improving their lives. Yeah, that's very you know inspirational stuff. But all but the now, other stuff was you know you know you sat down and you read it. Mm -hmm. And now it seems. I don't know. Again, thirty thirty percent of the people who I right? who I know are listening to audiobooks. Sure, and I think uh, and podcasts as well. Are, is That's it, becoming huge, huge because huge. these are huge, diverse groups where you know everyone essentially has a representative. But are, are you seeing a lot more podcast entries and 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 uh, and that vertical is that growing in your world? It's I, growing. It has grown, but I I, uh, I foresee it gonna, being major next yeah. year. <laughs> Again, it's podcast. all an extension of voice. Right. The podcast, the, um, the audio books, even uh, uh, how it's infiltrating into community. Voice is becoming it. And voice in a holistic, mm -hmm. transformational, and aspirational way is what's right. in right now. And, and I think as technology goes, if, if you look ahead, maybe two or three years, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on this as well. Yes. But no one's going to type everything. Everything right. is going to be voice. Yeah. Excellent news. Like why Why would you type it when you can just speak it? Yeah. What sure. could be more yeah. instantaneous yeah. than that except an implant in our brains that 
you know, transmits messages to, to each other. Sure. And, no, and, we, and we that, all need, and that's coming. We all need inspiration in today's world, I think. I think that's partly why also voice is so huge. We need inspiration. We need information just to get through the day, constantly Rudy and I are brainstorming about things, you know. So I think on a global stage, voice is becoming huge because it's a source of inspiration. It's a source of guidance. Mm-hmm. It's a source of information you know it's helping us gain many things in life that once upon a time you just didn't have you didn't know what to do yeah. you didn't know what you know and also screen fatigue we're, we're kind of showing yeah, up yeah screen fatigue um, yeah uh, and just true. some some trend reports that people want to you know communicate you can't tell inflection from a text you can't right. you screen at home you're at the screen right. in the morning so other things that we can do to that's right use other senses and be more There's active. only so many emojis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I believe voice is probably the most reliable source we have for, uh, for kind of investigating and, and engaging what another person means and feels right. yeah, uh, without true. being able to see their face. Yes. yes. I mean, in advertising, the conversational performance for commercials and promos and et cetera has become all the rage because it more closely fits what we're used to experiencing with our friends and family and in real life. And what we trust, and what we trust. And so, you know, the voice is that all the more significant because we realize that consumers understand the voice. They can gauge it and judge it on their own. Sure. They don't need help with that. They hear it and they say, okay, scam. Or they hear it and they say, huh, sounds real. Got they it. know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's another level of kind of a litmus test of, of credibility, hearing the voice um, and being part of it. Now, uh, just as we wrap up here, mm-hmm. tell me some things that you think two years, five years, kind of let's look in the looking glass ahead in your world. You spent 20 years in the industry, uh, both you, Joan, mm-hmm. triple threat across different artistic endeavors. W- tell me what you, you, you're kind of seeing or maybe predicting uh, some things down the road three to five years from now. Well, one would be hearing and seeing the Voice Arts Awards across all the many screens that we interact with. Mm-hmm. And uh, so whether that whether that's television or, or YouTube or whatever the screen, it doesn't really matter the mechanism as much mm-hmm. as it does that there's a screen where you can see and hear. Yeah. So uh, this year, uh, Ovation TV will be live streaming the Voice Arts Awards on their network. And they're going to be working in conjunction with other sponsors of ours to cross promote. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a great big opening there for sponsors to to uh, to grow their footprint with us. But the uh, that would be one major force is to see us across all the many screens yeah. and having people be able to uh, interact with us. I also level. think it's going to become more and more inclusive. Uh, for example, we're now talking to the Society of. For the preservation of Japanese animation. Japanese animation, you know, and they're they're interested in coming on board and expressing their art form, which is animation, Japanese animation. So So that could mean licensing because we can't run but so many (laughs) award shows and especially in in languages that we're not familiar with, which, you know, it takes a a huge village to run one of these shows. So, but the, uh, the Society for the Preservation of Japanese Anime, they're interested and licensing the Voice Arts Award so they can do the same show in Japan. Yeah, you know, that, that's I, interesting because, uh, uh, sorry, John, but I just oh, wanted no to say that in five short years, you now get 
entries from Egypt, mm-hmm. India, mm-hmm. Australia, mm-hmm. Uh, all across the Philippines, mm-hmm. our upstairs and downstairs neighbor Canada and Mexico. You got NAFTA covered, Nigeria, <laughs> England, Puerto Rico, South America, Ireland, Norway, uh, or just to name a few. So th- this is amazing how this is galvanized. And um, mm-hmm. when you look at recently, Facebook just signed a streaming rights deal with Major League Soccer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, they didn't sign it first with the NBA or the Major League Baseball True. or the NHL, uh-huh. but they felt that soccer is a global sport. So they partnered with them. And I think when you look at Truly. the Voice Arts Awards, it really is built for a streaming platform to get everyone involved. That's um, right. Because everybody has a voice, but now we want everybody to have a vote. So um, yes. as you grow, I think, you know, and there's more people familiar with speaking aloud and speaking at devices and not texting and things mm-hmm. of that nature. I, You know, the voice really, really has so far to go because um, we kind of move from a lot of words to emojis, which was kind of right. like going back to Egyptian hieroglyphics. Right. I always tell people that the Egyptians wrote on the wall – and when we were going to school, people said, what were they doing? They just drew a horse? <laughs> uh-huh. Right. Or <laughs> a, a camel? spaceship? Right. right. And right. now we're tech, we're communicating exactly like they are on our walls, you know, on Facebook. That's with right. Emojis. How about that? But the next level is really funny. verbally mm-hmm. communicating. And, yes. And also. And, and, uh, and getting all these diverse voices. That's I mean, right. Malala. I mean, there's so many people that. Um, could grace the the stage and be a part of this, and it's it's unbelievable at where I feel that this. That could go. I think that's so exciting, and not only that. When I was a kid, my goal was to meet everybody in the world. <laughs> okay, how's it going? <laughs> it's actually going <laughs> Open well. With that. It's it's actually, <laughs> and I think, and, and I think about the Voice Arts Award, <laughs> and I think that actually could have been, you know. What I thought about as a kid, and I and I really was serious. I wanted to meet everyone in the world. I used to daydream about it. This actually is a vehicle for that, without even realizing it. That's kind of what Mark Zuckerberg has done with Facebook. I yeah. yeah, no, that's amazing, yeah. and that's a good way to wrap this up. Yes. One more thing is, yes. if you could just mention your website, um, what season, if the date isn't confirmed, of next year's show and uh, where people would go to find out more information on how they can become part of this community that's ever-growing and add their diverse voice to the conversation. And we'd love to have them. They can go to SOVAS.org. SOVAS is the acronym for Society of Voice, Arts, and Sciences. So it's S-O-V as in Victor, A-S.org. And there's lots of information there. The next show will be in November 2018 on the... 17th and 18th, Saturday and Sunday at Warner Brothers Theaters in Los Angeles. Okay, that's exciting. That's an amazing venue. Yes. Thank you both so much for coming in. I I hope you weren't disappointed it wasn't Jada and Will and that it was me and Rudy. (laughs) No, I've already forgot. Actually, I think Jada and Will, they just got here. (laughs) 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 They just got here. They're waiting in the waiting room. (laughs) Thank you both so much for coming today. Thank you so much. The, The mind of Doug Melville. I tell you, it has a voice that's impactful. (laughs) It's gold, baby. That's right. All right. Thank Thank you. you. What a fantastic interview that was. It was so, so interesting. 
Thank you to everyone involved, Doug for hosting, and of course, Joan and Rudy for being guests on the show. Also, thank you to Sam at Lotus Productions for engineering. I really, really don't know what to say to add to that. (laughs) Um, I just uh, hope that was really enlightening to you and empowering and interesting. To follow up on what they were talking about right at the end there, if you want to find out more about the Society of Voice Arts and Sciences, you can go to sovas.org, S-O-V-A-S.org. And Doug has his own podcast, which you should definitely check out. He's had Snoop on there. He's had Alan Yang, who is a writer. He uh, co-wrote Master of None. So look that up. It is the Disruptor series. I think it's hosted on Podbean, but I'm pretty sure you can find it on iTunes and all those other places too. We will be back again next week with another episode, and I'm going to be recording that tomorrow, and I'll be putting out the details on Monday. And that's that. So I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'll see you next time. Thanks very much. Bye. This episode was recorded at Lotus Productions in New York City. Thank you to this week's guests, to our sponsor J. Michael Collins and Backstage Magazine. Thanks also to Kyle Marie Colucci and Chris Sharps for social media support. Join us next time for another class. Class.